This is a Village Soundcast Network original production. Hello and welcome to Lens Me Your Ears. This is a film podcast where we see something new in cinemas or on a streaming service and connect it with older pictures by genre, by the same filmmaker, or some other cinematic connective tissue. My name is Karsten Knox. I write about film on the blog Flaw in the Iris at halifaxbloggers.ca, and I'm the movie guru on CTV Morning Live. And I'm Stephen Cook. I'm an arts writer here in Halifax with the Chronicle Herald. Today we're talking about films by black filmmakers for reasons that should be obvious. We're seeing a real cultural movement right now against systemic racism, highlighting the lack of equity for people of color in North America and around the world. And we're going to start with Spike Lee's The Five Bloods, now on Netflix. Hi, Karsten. Welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears. It's good to sit down with you separately and uh, yes, to talk indeed. about films again uh, from uh, from a distance across town. And uh, this is this is going to be a very special show, I think, uh, that we're, we're going to be taking a look at films by black and African-American filmmakers uh, from a variety of viewpoints, a variety of stories from intimate human stories to very political ones. And uh, I, I think uh, I think we've got a good gamut of films to 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 really get inside the culture right now as it is and uh, and help us get some understanding of what's going on in the world right now. Yeah, no, I agree. I think, you know, in solidarity with this movement, there are a number of prominent movie websites have lowered their paywalls to get grant audiences free access to films by black filmmakers. So we want to highlight that and we want to talk about some of those movies and, you know, by and some of the other movies we're seeing uh, this weekend as we record uh, the news, as I mentioned, the new Spike Lee movie has arrived and uh, a lot of people are talking about that. Now, in the past, we have had uh, a, an episode that was devoted to talking about filmmakers uh African-American filmmakers. It was episode 55 of Lens Me Your Ears, if listeners want to go back and give that a listen. That was inspired by Jordan Peele's Get Out and Ryan Coogler's Black Panther. And we checked out a bunch of films from the 1970s American black exploitation era, as well as some more recent dramas like Julie Dash's Daughters of the Dust, which is now available to be watched for free on the Criterion channel. Um, we talked about Cassie Lemon's Eve's Bayou and even Girls Trip by Malcolm D. Lee and a few local features, Poor Boy's Game, Across the Line, and Black Cop, of course, local to us here in Nova, Nova Scotia. Uh, Black Cop, which is available to be watched on the uh, CBC Gem uh, for free. If anyone hasn't seen that, that's very much worth seeing. Uh, Corey Bowles' film. Uh, but that's just scratching the surface of what's available. So I'm really happy to have this opportunity to watch more of these films that are now available on streaming services. Of course, with cinemas closed, that's the way where most people are watching feature films these days. And uh, yeah, Spike Lee's The Five Bloods uh, has arrived with a bang. Uh, Stephen, what did you make of The Five Bloods? You've watched it now. Yeah, I I saw some early word on it that was fairly mixed, so I ended up enjoying it more than I thought I would. Um, and uh, I, I guess uh, Lee is on a bit of a roll right now after Black Klansman was was a, a, a critical and commercial success, and uh, this is a. Uh, Spike Lee going back into the the realm of of war. Uh, he he he's done it before, uh, 
with his uh, Second World War film. But this is uh, this is a story about five Vietnam vets uh, who going back ostensibly to recover the remains of a friend they had to leave behind in the heat of battle uh, back in 1971, I believe. But uh, they have a covert mission to also uh, recover some gold that they were transporting at the time and uh, and bring that back to the, the States uh, after waiting, you know, a good 40 odd years to be able to complete that particular mission. So it's it's uh, it's kind of an interesting mix of like missing in action and treasure of the Sierra Madre in a way. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I noticed the uh, the treasure of Sierra Madre uh, sort of inspiration is pretty uh, pretty evident here. I really enjoyed. I don't know if you caught it, but one oh, of yes. the uh, the gentleman made a, a a remark about badges, and I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, I see that. <laughs> <laughs> that was uh, one of the uh, one of the gentlemen with machine guns there, uh, one of the Vietnamese uh, uh, guys who uh, tried to stop these guys. Yeah, it's actually four American veterans, and then the son of one of them shows up unexpectedly. Uh, the four gentlemen played by Delroy Lindo, Clark Peters, Isaiah Whitlock Jr., and Norm Lewis, uh, who are all great character actors, all of whom I'm familiar with their work. Uh, I think Delroy Lindo probably gets the meatiest most uh, intense part as Paul, he's a guy who is, whose son suggests he's suffering from uh, PTSD and for years now has been you know, battling with these uh, these issues of of Vietnam and uh, and uh, his memories of what happened there, and and we frequently flash back to the jungle and what what happened when they found this gold and what they did with it and what happened to their ostensible leader at the time. Uh, Chadwick Boseman plays Storm and Norman uh, in these scenes, and uh, you know it's funny. I. I really appreciate that Spike Lee is a filmmaker who really loves movies, uh, and I get that a lot in this film. Like he's he, as you mentioned, Tier of, uh, Treasure of Sierra Madre is is definitely evoked repeatedly, and so is Apocalypse Now, with a bunch of uh, of sort of you know mic drops, uh, uh, the uh, the. Um, uh, uh, Ride of the Valkyries, you yes. know, using used at a time not with helicopters, but with the boat going up the river. That that made me laugh. There's a lot of humor here, and it's big and it has a lot to say politically. This film, but it's also very funny. I don't think Spike Lee takes himself 100 percent seriously with a in a movie like this. Well, comedy is uh, an important part of his style. Uh, I mean, she's got to have it. His his feature debut was a romantic comedy uh and uh, and even do the right thing which is as searing a social drama as you might want to see has has very strong elements of comedy in it as well uh, as things are are heating up to the boiling point in that film so so it's 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 nice to see it uh, play a major role here i i caught up with a spike lee film i hadn't seen uh from 2014 called the sweet blood of jesus which is a remake of the 70s black vampire film uh called Ganja and Hess, which is a remarkable film for its time. And unfortunately, Spike updates it without much humor, without too much uh, of his own signature style. It's fairly faithful to the original, and it's fairly arid and and, and lifeless as a result. It's not one of his better films. So, um, you know, I'm glad I caught up with that one after uh, wanting to see it for a while. But but here we see, you know, as with Black Klansman, you know, he, he's 
really firing on all cylinders in terms of his balance of character and humor, drama and politics. I find it it uh, it kind of hits the marks on all those points. Yeah, this is a really a full meal deal, isn't it? Like he he really is he's bouncing around from all these things that he wants to say, and I, I think. I don't know. I think if I was being uncharitable, I'd call it a bit of a mess at places. Like I, I, there's the focus goes in so many different directions, and the film is two and a half hours long. I don't think it needs to be that long. I think he could have, he could have cut some of that stuff, or he could have focused his film on a more singular message. Uh, but he, you know, as you say, this is his style. He likes to to go all over the place. He's he's part, you know, he, he's part sort of professorial lecturer about the history of race and culture he has things to say about vietnam and and uh and the way that colonialism has impacted vietnam he has things to say about the way colonialism has impacted the united states and the way you know uh we're the the black lives movement um he he throws so much stuff at the uh, at the wall here i don't think all of it sticks but the journey that we get to take with it is certainly entertaining, and uh, and it, there's so much going on that that it's 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 never dull. No, and and there there are a lot of points to be made about the Vietnam War and the effect it had on the black community. Uh, first, I mean, it opens with the most famous. Uh, protester against the war probably and that's Muhammad Ali who refused to go serve and and paid a price for it uh you know in the 60s and into the 70s uh and of course it also makes a strong case for the fact that uh Martin Luther King was a vocal opponent of the war and and that uh, is quite potentially played a role in his assassination and uh the film doesn't make too many bones about that I mean Vietnam was uh, you know, obviously a, a, a huge historical failure uh, for the United States. It was an interesting war in that it was one of the first times that uh, that the army was integrated. I think, you know, in the in the First World War and Second World War, uh, the black soldiers that served were usually in segregated units. That wasn't so much the case here. But even so, um, as the film points out, uh, often black soldiers were sent out on the more dangerous patrols. And, uh, and, and that's why people like Martin Luther King spoke out against the war because, you know, African-Americans are just basically being used as cannon fodder in this um, unwinnable jungle war. So uh, it, the, the film has that undercurrent of, of these soldiers basically feeling that they're just going back to get what's theirs for the price mm-hmm. that they and, and their countrymen had to pay in this, um, in this feudal conflict. And, uh, and, you know, so there's, there's a streak of bitterness running through their feelings about being back in Vietnam and, and you know, being forced to fight against uh, a people that they had no problem with, which, of course, is what Muhammad Ali was uh, famously saying at the time. Yeah, no, absolutely. I, I definitely get that. I get that sort of uh, seriousness about it. And then, you know, it's balanced with this almost uh adventure story that uh that comes from the the treasure of sierra madre connections and uh and then all these other little moments like uh casting clark peters and isaiah whitlock jr as as two of the uh the veterans going back and i like both of those actors a whole lot um and and famously they both were in the wire the tv series and uh you know spike lee doesn't miss an opportunity to give uh, Isaiah Whitlock Jr. Uh, a chance to say his famous uh, catchphrase from The Wire. 
<laughs> which, you know, I mean, when he says it, I'm like, oh, okay, you know, we're, it took me a little bit out of the film, but at the same time, I so enjoyed it. I couldn't help but, but appreciate what was going on there. Um, yeah, again, you know, it, 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 and I, but the film actually taught me things I didn't know. I think if I'm remembering the statistic right, uh, even though African Americans made up only 10 or 11% of the population in the United States at the time, uh, they were, thir- they represented 34% of the soldiers that went to Vietnam. So, uh, that was something I didn't know. And, uh, you know, it, it, it's, it's funny, uh, the elements of docudrama that, Spike Lee uses in his films that that he he absolutely insists on getting these points across these important points but he does it in a way that is quite entertaining and and surrounded by these sort of other cinematic Hollywood conventions uh, yeah you know it's funny talking about it now I'm realizing I, I probably liked it more than uh, than maybe I even realized when I first watched it I just I think I just wish that it was a little shorter I felt like there were a few indulgences that that could have been trimmed uh, some supporting characters that don't really do a lot um, but uh, but yeah uh, it, it's uh, well it's on Netflix now for anyone who might want to check it out yeah, it's funny to compare it to a film that we saw not too long ago, uh, Triple Frontier, which is, is kind of similar in its uh, storyline. Uh, but in this case, uh, you know, it, it's it's fraught with a lot more, uh, you know, a lot more political content and social content. And and plus it's it's uh, shot, I think the, they actually shot in, in Ho Chi Minh City for the city scenes, but then went to Thailand for the, uh, the scenes where they're in country so to speak and uh it's certainly one of spike lee's best looking films and and uh you know certainly the location work and and the casting of even the minor parts is uh, is quite effective um but it, yeah it does get bogged down a bit towards the end we feel they're kind of spinning their wheels trying to add more tension and drama where maybe it doesn't necessarily need it um but anytime they just focus on the characters and their old friendships and and also the struggles that they've had since they've uh, come home from Vietnam. That stuff's all very worthwhile. Yeah, yeah. Interesting that he didn't recast the younger versions of uh, of the uh, the four veterans in the flashbacks. Did you notice that? Like he still used the same actors, even though we're flashing back forty or fifty years. Uh, that uh, that you know, alongside Chadwick Boseman, uh, I found that an interesting choice as well. Uh, at first, I was like, "Wait yes. a second, he's they're clearly a lot older." But but it's all just it all just feels a little expressionistic. And you know, and in terms of the way memory works, I, I sort of felt like oh, I think you can get away with this. Yeah, because often in memory, you don't necessarily see yourself as your younger self. You just kind of see a version of yourself. Um, and, I, you know, Spike Lee is not afraid to get a little messy with the storytelling. You know, not everything has to be completely cut and dried and neatly packaged. And I, I think I like that about his films, uh, you know, mm-hmm. that it's that he's not afraid to be unconventional when the story calls for it. And I think there's there's a fair bit of that here. And 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 somehow it all works. Um yeah, and uh, and 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 the film takes it. I mean, it's and it's very current. It it certainly takes its swipes at the current, uh, you know, the current POTUS or impotus. <laughs> and uh, uh-huh. and uh, I, you know, that's. I mean, that's obviously going to date it down the road. But at the same time, it's it feels it feels very present and and very up to date in that regard. So uh, you know, I enjoyed that aspect of it too. You know, will I yeah. will I oh, ten absolutely. years from now? Who knows? But uh, you know, at least it, it kind of puts a timestamp on it for the viewer right now. 
Yeah, no, absolutely. Uh, now, also on Netflix is a documentary that I know you watched and I've seen before called 13th, and that's uh, Ava DuVernay's uh, documentary about the prison industrial complex in the United States, uh, hinging on the 13th Amendment to the Constitution, which uh, outlaws slavery except in cases of imprisonment for criminal activity. And so that's the loophole that's pretty much locked up a generation of black men in American prisons. Uh, and uh it's a it's a really eye opening documentary. What do you, what did you make of that, Stephen? Yeah, this film. Uh, you know, I, all I can say is I wish I'd seen it sooner. Uh, if if you're trying to understand what's happening, uh, and not just in the states, but here in Canada, but but to a greater degree in the states in terms of what's happening with law enforcement and and the. Um, the penal system this lays it all out on the line that going back to the end of the civil war when the 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 slaves working in the field just switched over to begin chain gangs doing the same sort of thing and then and today we have you know assembly lines in prisons there's money to be made in uh in jails and uh, this this film explains why and why that's how that system is being perpetrated and and how it got to this point where there are millions of people prisons for the most minor of crimes and, and why that system needs to change uh this really is essential viewing uh, if 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 you want to get at uh, an understanding of what's happening right now this this film uh, you know explains the how the corporatization of crime uh has really done a number on on society and on uh, in north america and it's it's going to take a lot of work to get it changed now the film doesn't really necessarily say how it's going to change you know it's obviously this was made before defund the police you know it does line out why we've gotten to this point you know that the more people they can arrest on the most minor of infractions is means more money for the the companies that run the prisons and uh you know and it's what's really interesting for me is that how a lot of it stems from the clinton administration how how in order to get elected uh, you know, Democratic candidate and eventually President Bill Clinton decided to be the tough on crime guy to beat the Republicans at their own game. And unfortunately, this is what happens when you play that game that uh, a lot of uh, a lot of people end up getting hurt in the process. And uh, and now he regrets those policies. But, you know, that's that's, you know, the whole closing the barn door after the horse has gotten out uh, argument that it's, you know, it's fine to regret it. But, you know, what are you can do to change it? Yeah, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And it, it is, uh, it lays it all out for anybody to understand. And I think that's what I really liked about it, too. It's a, it's a really solid and, as you say, essential documentary about a part of of American society, which I don't think is very clear to a lot of people. I certainly learned a lot from having watched it. Uh, now, Ava DuVernay has become a voice um, in f- American filmmaking that is prominent and uh and clear, and I've been hearing her interviewed quite a lot lately. She uh, she was on the CBCQ actually this past week talking about about uh, issues around race. Uh, of course, she's well known for uh, a variety of films. She did the Disney sort of fantasy uh, family movie, A Wrinkle in Time, which I didn't love. But uh, she also directed Selma from 2014, which was an Academy Award, uh, I think, nominated. I can't remember if it won. Uh, or not in, in its categories, but it uh, it was up for a number of Academy Awards, and um, it's the story of the the marches in Selma, uh, Alabama, uh, 
uh, 50 years ago, more than 50 years ago now, Martin Luther King and his followers uh, in protest of voting rules, poll taxes, and rules basically discriminated against African Americans. And um, it was uh, it's a remarkable film, and I one of my favorites in 2014 when it uh, it arrived. Uh, very impressive performance by British actor David Oyelowo as as King, who. Uh, who you know inspired people around him while being very much a human being, someone who was fallible, uh, and uh, it's uh, you know and and then they they don't uh, they don't lionize they don't uh, you know turn him into a saint. He he's he's really well uh, depicted here. And uh, interesting, a lot of the other cast members are Brits as well, including Tom Wilkinson as Lyndon B. Johnson um, and Ch- Tim Roth, who plays the real villain of the film as Alabama Governor George Wallace who worked to maintain the status quo of the segregationist South. Um, Another great, just a great cast, Common, Wendell Pierce, Andre Holland, uh, Alessandro Nivola, who is a favorite of mine, and even Oprah Winfrey shows up. She's a producer of the film, and she plays a resident in Selma. It's, uh, it's, this film is one of the films that is available now for free on Cineplex. Cineplex has uh, lowered its, um, its wall and you can watch a number of films for free now earlier this week it was like 35 films and now i think it's fewer they've i thought they were going to have them all free through the month of june but i'm not sure exactly how many of them are free but i did notice on the list for instance get out which i mentioned earlier fruitvale station ryan coogler's first feature and um and the photograph, uh, yes. which I think we're going to talk about, but uh, but yeah. I, anyway, I, I would uh, recommend people go and have a look at the Cineplex site and find out and uh, check out which which of these films. I as I, I hope, fingers crossed, they are all still free by the time people are listening to this. Yeah, I I looked into that. I was kind of surprised to go onto the Cineplex site and see that they'd reduced the number of films that were initially available. I guess in the first week, um, you know, it was great to be able to just go through and just blitz on these films uh you know some of which played in theaters here some of which didn't um some may have been here for the blink of an eye and they were gone so it was it was a great way to catch up on some important films but also just to kind of investigate a few corners that i hadn't had a chance to look into um i believe selma is still free some of the titles that we're going to be talking about uh they're still available for free, but they're not listed on that page. You may have to go searching for them. But um, there's there's a, a film coming up called Pariah, uh, an independent film shot in Brooklyn, which uh, I think is still available to watch for free, but you have to actually actively search for it. So, um, but then I checked, uh, for example, Queen and Slim, uh, a recent film from last year, which which I quite enjoyed. Uh, it was free, and now it's not. So I'm guessing the more recent titles. You're now going to have to pay for it, but the ones that are a bit older, um, you may still be able to watch those for free. But again, you have to individually search them out as opposed to having a whole page of them in front of you. So so make note of some of the titles that we talk about today and and uh, and make sure that you're able to watch them on, on Cineplex. You might you might have to log in with an account. You might have to create an account or get a scene card or whatever, but otherwise it's worth having and and worth checking out. So you're listening to Lens Me Your Ears, the film podcast. Today we're talking about films by African-American filmmakers. And uh, on our in our second segment here, we've got three movies to discuss. One is, I believe, still available on the Cineplex site for free. It's called The Hate You Give from 2018, directed by George Tillman Jr., who is a veteran filmmaker in Hollywood, written by Audrey Wells from the novel by Angie Thomas. Now, this novel 
is a young adults novel and the film I think is very much aimed at a younger audience. It has uh, the beats of it and the way the dialogue goes. It's it's very direct. It's very on the nose, some of the dialogue. But I really was impressed at the uh, complexity of this story and how many things uh, it are discussed and worked out in this film. Um, it's uh, basically the story about a, a young woman, Star Carter, played by Amanda Stenberg, who is amazing in this. She goes to high school with her half-brother, Seven, played by Lamar Johnson, in the upper crust white area of her city, though she and her family live in a more uh, impoverished black neighborhood. Now, Star's parents, Maverick and Lisa, played by Russell Hornsby and Regina Hall, send them there because of the violence in their area to this nice, nice, you know, fancy white school. And uh, Maverick also has past connections with local drug dealers played, uh, well, Anthony Mackie plays King, who is sort of the leader of that, there's a gang. Uh, but it means a star has to sort of adapt to act one way when she's with her family and friends in her neighborhood and another way when she's at school. And you know what, if that was just the story, that would make for an interesting film on its own, you know, full of complications about identity and and how you, you're true to yourself in an environment that doesn't, that forces you to try and, and be different and hide certain aspects of yourself but in fact there's a lot more going on in this film um when star's childhood friend khalil played by algie smith is shot she is the only witness but talking about what happened upsets her dad's old buddies and complicates her relationship with her family and her her uh her uncle who was a cop carlos played by common uh, while and then she doesn't talk about it at all with her white friends or her white boyfriend chris played by kj appa uh and then she's asked to testify for the grand jury by a local activist lawyer played by Issa ray who i'm seeing in a lot of films these days she's really great uh but it forces her to make a decision does she risk her family security does she upend her own identity does she take a stand does she become an activist and uh that isn't even all of it. There are more discussions here about white privilege, about parental guilt, about absorbing the, leg the, the legend and the lessons of the Black Panther movement. Uh, there is so much going on in this film, and I thought that the performances were really great. Um, if this sort of tell-don't-show model uh, you know, is a little bit heavy-handed sometimes, and I think that speaks to its source material being this young adult novel, um, that, you know, I think is some of it's i mean it's a bit problematic in terms of my appreciation of the way the film is told but uh i think that uh the heart of the film really carries the day and and i don't uh, i i still would very much recommend it um Stephen, what did you uh, what did you make of uh, of the hate you give? Yeah, I really really like this film. A lot of it has to do with Amanda Sternberg. Sternberg, she is uh, she is terrific as Star. She really has to carry this whole picture uh, as the character who's caught up in this whole maelstrom of um, you know of, of guilt and wrongdoing and 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 trying to come to terms with her own place. You know where where does she belong? I I, I think she's coping with a lot of stuff and I, f I found her performance at the heart of this film to be really compelling uh and again like I, i'm watching this knowing that maybe you know maybe this is pitched at a younger audience but i feel like i'm really feeling something for these characters and and the decisions and choices they have to make and of course the situation she's put in is just you know just a horrible place to be and uh, but I, I i felt like she wrung every bit of emotion out of that that she could without you know, without being too over the top or, or, or unbelievable. Uh, I'm, I am less interested in her relationship with her white friends at the, 
this, the academy, the, the the fancy school that she goes to there. And maybe it's because the, the, those characters aren't terribly well drawn, perhaps. Um, and so, you know, that's that's probably the one aspect where the film falls down a little bit. Um, you know, that the, the, they're not necessarily, uh, you know, believable from start to finish or that they don't necessarily act in in, in ways that that would make sense uh, apart from serving the storyline. But uh, but the bulk of it, as she, as she kind of rises to truth and rises to power, I find that main through line of the story really compelling and, uh, you know, and really believable. Yeah, I did too. And, you know, it becomes, there's a moment of, of drama towards the end where a, a character gets a hold of a gun and I, it felt almost uh, the, the dramatic thrust of it was almost a little too heavy handed for me. Uh, but at the same time, you know, it does illustrate so many things that feel very relevant to us right now um, about uh, about weapons and about uh, the way that uh, violence is is inherited through the generations. And and it's a way that uh, that the black community in the United States is is and, you know, everywhere uh, is is trying to fight against racism and and uh and how we all need to sort of pay more attention to what's going on in our communities. Um, it's uh, yeah, I think I think it's the kind of movie that that if you have young people in your uh, in your family, for instance, if you're, but I mean, I probably a little too intense for anyone under the age of maybe ten. But uh, but tweens and teens, uh, I think there's a lot here that could really. Uh, really impact and and uh and cut, get through because i think i think the storytelling is is generally really good in this film and the performances as you say are, are terrific yeah it's it's better than an average young adult film i'd say I, th- I think a lot of that has to do with with george tillman jr he's a very experienced director he's been making films for like 25 years now um you know soul food and um uh there's a uh, was it not hope and glory there's a, there's a, there's a military film uh that he made that was quite good as well early on in his career and he's doing a lot more producing now but he clearly you know has a knack with actors and getting these very uh natural believable performances from them and and uh, I, I i found that that was the case here with with the cast all the way across the board apart from a couple of her school friends who right <laughs> you know who who perhaps aren't as important to the plot other than as sort of motivational devices, I suppose. Uh, but in a film that's over, over two hours, I guess you can only focus on so many things. So, uh, yeah, I, you know, it's funny. I didn't mind them so much. I understand what you're saying. They're, yeah. they're kind of, by the way, I almost felt like that was the after school special element of the story. Um, but, uh, but I, you know, it could have been just about that part of her life, her life at, at this white school, and that could have been the story. But there's so much more going on in this film, so it, it does actually get shunted aside a little bit as maybe not as important. Yeah, but I do like the contrast between the two worlds that she moves through and how she kind of juggles juggles them both of being a star student, so to speak. Pardon the pun. Yeah, and yes. uh, and, and and you know, and and coping with uh, with life in her neighborhood and her her family's history and the the complicated entwinings with the with the uh with the gang and and uh and trying to get beyond that and get a get beyond that past and uh it's uh again it's a juggling act where a couple of balls might get dropped but overall uh, uh really worth seeing yeah no for sure now another film that's available uh on the cineplex site is monsters and men and you know this is a feature that 
I have to admit, up to about two weeks ago, I'd never heard of. And I just was like, how is this possible? Like, this is clearly a film. It's a first film by written and directed by Ronaldo Marcus Green, who now is, is working on a film about... Um, the Williams sister? Uh, the Williams yeah. sisters. Yeah, yeah, about their father, Richard, uh, called King Richard, starring uh, Will Smith. So he's definitely working on main, you know, big budget Hollywood stuff now. But uh, this is a movie that completely missed. I know, I don't think it opened here. Uh, I don't think it had much of a profile. I know it It premiered at TIFF in 2018. It was supposed to have been introduced by Drake, who is uh, credited as a executive producer on the film, but apparently he uh, bailed at the last minute and didn't show up. But, uh, but it, it, yeah, it's just amazing. One of the things about going through and watching some of these uh, films by African-American filmmakers is realizing that they are getting made. We're just not seeing a lot of them here in Nova Scotia. And, uh, and so that's, that's a bit of a revelation for me. Um, but yeah, Monsters and Men, it's, it's, a, it's a film I thought was beautifully shot, very well told, very ambitious, but it's a kind of cinematic triptych where you have three overlapping stories in one film, which makes it feel a little bit like it's almost the pilot for a series that we're not going to get to see the rest of the series. It really leaves you wanting more. And some of that I think is great, but, but it's not, it's, it's structurally so different than your average film. Uh, you know, it's don't, don't you think, I mean, it it has that, uh, it, it really has like a, a different, kind of approach to a storytelling that we just don't see very often. Yeah, it, it was it was interesting watching it sort of going in cold and 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 seeing how it kind of jumped from character to character and how these three storylines kind of branch out from this this one incident um, where a, a, a storekeeper is shot during a shakedown by police and and uh, a young uh, man uh, who's about to become a security guard named Manny captures it on his phone and then is is kind of torn about what to do with the video, whether he releases it to the media or, you know, he listens to the cops who are basically threatening him to to keep it to himself. Uh, and and then the effect that the video has as it spreads out into the world. It's, it's it, you know, as I was watching it initially, I felt like, oh, this is almost like this film picks up where Fruitvale Station leaves off. Um, you know, Fruitvale Station builds up to this horrific uh, abuse of power by the police and when a man is shot in a in a San Francisco um, train station and then here we can sort of begin with an incident very similar to that and then see the ripple effect of it through the lives of these kind of three main characters and the people around them I, I, I thought it was an interesting way to tell the story I did also have that wanting more feeling by the end of it but it was interesting to get all those all those different perspectives uh, John David Washington uh, who you know I've I've liked and everything I've seen him in so far, you know, plays the conflicted cop who's trying to come to terms with the fact that, you know, he's, he's working with some fairly rotten cops and, and in a fairly rotten system, uh, you know, he's probably the most interesting of the characters. Uh, and, uh, you know, I certainly want to see more of his story. Uh, you know, Manny's plight as, as the one who took the video, you know, we kind of move away from him in, into Dennis's story and into, um, into the life of a, of a promising athlete who wants to be able to do more than just play baseball. He wants to, to make a difference as well. And, uh, you know, all three stories are compelling and I, I, I felt like they were leading into something more when the film is wrapping up. So I, I don't know that I'm dissatisfied, but it certainly makes you think about these three different lives and, and how they've been affected. And if, if you kind of stick to it with that, that mindset, it's, it's, uh, the flaws are, are, 
are, are diminished by the, the the qualities of the film in terms of the acting and the, and the filmmaking. Yeah, absolutely. It's a gorgeous looking film. Uh, and yeah, John David Washington is going to, he's just about to be a star. I think he's, he's in, uh, in Christopher Nolan's Tenet, whenever yeah. that gets released, uh, currently uh, scheduled for July 31st, but, uh, you know, depending on whether the cinemas are open by then, but, um, yeah, he is great in this, and uh, and Kelvin Harrison Jr. is another young actor who I've seen quite a lot recently, and I think he's probably headed for stardom as well. He plays Zyrick, the uh, to the up and coming yes, baseball player who wants to get involved in activist causes. But uh, yeah, it's it's also worth seeing. Now, uh, moving on, the photograph written and directed by Stella Meggie. I hope I'm pronouncing that name right. She's Canadian. I didn't realize this when I first saw the film. She's from Toronto originally, this filmmaker. And uh, it's a straight-ahead romance uh, set sort of in two time periods, well, mostly in the present, but with some flashback, where Lakeith Stanfield plays Michael, and Lakeith Stanfield's another actor who's everywhere these days. Uh, he's a writer for a New York-based magazine on assignment in Louisiana to do a, to do a story on a fisherman, uh, Isaac, played by Rob Morgan, and the impact of the BP oil spill. And he hears a little about uh, about uh, an old love of Isaac's from 30 years before and sees a couple of her photographs. And her name was Christina, and she's played by Shante Adams. And she moved to New York in the 1980s, ending the relationship with Isaac. And back in Manhattan, Michael, who's curious about this woman and maybe wants to use some of the photos in the article, um... Uh, he has an intern played once again by Kelvin Harrison Jr. track her down and she's recently passed away but Michael meets her daughter played by Issa Rae again and her name is May and she's a curator of the Queen's Museum and that's where the romance begins uh, so there's this interesting backstory and history to this thing you know it feels very much like a novel uh, and then it becomes this story about these two people and whether they can be together despite the fact they both have dreams for their careers that that uh, may echo what happened in in back in the 80s with this fisherman and the photographer uh, I was really surprised how much I enjoyed the film it's not too often we see a straight ahead romance dramatic romance in feature films these days without it becoming like a thriller or a mystery or something and there's a little bit of a mystery here but mostly it's just the story of two people and whether or not they're going to be able to make it work yeah i love how this story from the past brings these two people together um lakeith uh, stanfield's michael and Issa Rae's may uh you know they you don't uh, you, you're not quite sure how the chemistry is going to work they are two fairly different personalities but but things click and they they move fairly quickly and uh they're both extremely likable i mean i lakeith stanfield i think is one of the most likable actors <laughs> I've seen in movies recently. I, you know, having seen him in in things like Knives Out and and uh, and, and Get Out and so on. Like, I, I just find that he's an I, I could watch him in anything. And, and seeing him play like, you know, this this writer who's who's not even sure he wants to be in a relationship, having just come out of a, a sort of tempestuous long term, um, uh, not affair, but but relationship. And and so you know, he's. You're you're kind of on the side of these people as as you watch them kind of navigate the tricky waters between career and and relationship and so on and, and having that element from the past that keeps kind of popping up um, to kind of either pull them together or tear them apart I thought was was a uh, just just really great storytelling and uh, you know it's as as romances go it's 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 got a lot of humor and a lot of character depth and and it's just and it's a beautiful gorgeous film it's you know they don't uh 
they don't really cut any corners story-wise or uh, visually in this film. So it's it really is the complete package for this kind of movie. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think the director of photography, Mark Schwartzbard, is he shoots the actors in the most flattering light at all times with the hair and wardrobe working overtime. I mean, these people look really good. Uh, there's a great soundtrack, a uh, little Al Green to foreshadow love <laughs> scenes and uh, some tasty 80s jams when we need uh, the flashback reminder, you know? Um, and there's a little bit of New York home and apartment porn. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's something, there, it's it's a really good looking film and it's a, it's a great, uh, I, I remember I saw it uh, in cinemas before they closed after... Uh, Valentine's Day, but I remember thinking to myself, "Oh, this would be a perfect date movie." Oh, oh, definitely. It's it's um, yeah, it's just appealing on, on every level, and uh, you know, certainly, uh, you know, Stanfields and Ray's stars are on the rise. Uh, interesting, we get Kelvin Harrison and Rob Morgan from uh, Monsters and Men here in in various roles. So that was it was great to see them again after watching that film, and uh, and and. I love the the contrast between Louisiana and New York. Um, you know, it was nice that it had those two settings to kind of bounce bounce between and 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 also show us the the very different lives that these characters could have depending on what paths they choose to follow. Uh, and uh, it's yeah, that, that's uh, it. It just uh, it, it was full of surprises and uh, and I just you know love love the affection that it that this film shows is very real and very true to heart. Lindsay Cameron Wilson, host of The Food Podcast. But do you know what? It's not just about food. It's about people and their stories shared through the lens of food. The Food Podcast has been described as an audible fairy tale. How about that? You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. So come join us. We would love to share our stories with you. Welcome back to Lens Me Your Ears, a special edition of the show looking at Black and African American films, and uh, we've we've looked at some recent productions. Let's let's go back a few years uh, to some films that probably went a little more under the radar than some of the titles that we talked to up to this point. And uh, one of the first films that uh, we're going to look at in this segment is called Pariah. It's uh, it's available for free through the cinema or sorry through the uh, Cineplex website uh if you have an account there or, um they they're offering a number of films for free and uh this one you might have to search for they were offering a full page of them uh initially and now there's just a handful available through the link on the on the home page but there are more of them that are still uh being uh, uh, shown or down you know streamable for for no cost and this is one of them it's a it's a feature uh, the feature film debut for d Rees who uh, went on to make the acclaimed Netflix-released feature Mudbound. But uh, this is a 2011 film uh, based on a short she had made previously about a, uh, a a teenage woman growing up in Brooklyn and coming to terms with her sexuality, uh, living with uh, fairly conservative parents and uh, afraid to come out, um, afraid to really find her own role in in the black lesbian community in new york city and it's 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 a real uh it's it's a real learning process for her and and for us as viewers i think there, there's a lot going on in this film and it's it's really a, a revelatory a revelatory look into uh 
into this culture. And uh, I, I really quite enjoyed it. There's a lot of humor and a lot of heartbreak in this film. And even though it's a debut feature and it, it does, you know, have some of the, some of the drawbacks that come from a, from a low budget independent film from time to time, I found it was uh, very affecting. Yeah, me too. And I, you're right. Uh, this is an, uh, a first film. And so it's, you know, you, you get a, a certain scrappiness to it, but boy, it looked good. Like the, 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 reds and purples and yellows the richness of the visual language is deep it's resonant uh bradford young is a cinematographer and a and and i think uh bradford young's uh look eye it sort of erases a lot of the usual hallmarks of low budget features because it just it, it looks it's almost hypnotic in the in the color scheme um and uh uh, Adepero Oduye, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name right, she plays the lead, uh, Alike Lee Freeman, and she's out to her gay friend, Laura, played by Pernell Walker, and her status, I think, is made more or less an open secret in school, but her church-going mother and cop dad, played by Kim Wayans and Charles Parnell, they uh, they don't see it. And uh, it's, yeah, it's about that struggle within the family. That becomes the central aspect of it. And also when Lee becomes friendly with the daughter of one of her mother's co-workers, her daughter, played by Aisha Davis. And uh, yeah, that's uh, that's that. So you get this kind of you know burgeoning need to be for her to be true to her sexual identity, but you know there's all these obstacles for that. And and uh, you know I found it really interesting to see this uh, this story of of the of gay culture uh, inside the framework of an African American family, which uh, we don't see very much. And uh, you know as a coming out drama, I think it's absolutely essential. Uh, and you know it does. Cast does it does connect to another film that is uh, about uh, queer culture in the United States um, in Brooklyn, in fact, and that's Cheryl mm. Dunye's *The Watermelon Woman*. It's kind of a touchstone, even though tonally it's a very different film. And that film, *The Watermelon Woman*, is available now on the Criterion Channel, which uh, has made available a number of features by Black filmmakers without a membership, and that includes Kathleen Collins' lost 1980s romance *Losing Ground*, uh, *Down in the Delta* by Maya Angelou, the poet and, and filmmaker, uh, Khalil Allah's *Black Mother*. And uh, yeah, a number of Cheryl Dunye's films, The Watermelon Woman being her first feature, which is actually also free on Canopy, the, uh, the service through the library. Um, this film was made in 1996, where Dunye herself stars as sort of an ambitious, burgeoning filmmaker while working at a video store. Uh, and she discovers a black actor who was a supporting performer in a number of Hollywood films back in the 1930s, but who was, an, who was very rarely credited in the cast. So she just knows her as the water, watermelon woman, and she starts to research her life and shoot a documentary about about it, including details about her own life, and it's uh, it's this fascinating, you know, docudrama slash comedy slash romantic comedy. It really ends up being about being the the, the sort of black lesbian scene in, in the 1990s, and I think anyone who has an interest in 90s culture, whatever your background, will enjoy you know the karaoke scene and the fashions and all the stuff that happens in the video store when they're renting out VHS videotapes. I loved all of those scenes. Yeah, I actually saw this when it came out. I believe. I believe it played uh, Wormwood's uh, Dog and Monkey Cinema back then, and and but I mean that was 25 years ago, so it was interesting catching up with it again and and remembering certain details uh, that I had forgotten about the film, and and uh, it, it it certainly has a great 
great liveliness and, and love of life about it. Uh, you know, Cheryl Dunier, you know, she's she's trying to get ahead as a filmmaker working on this project. And, and it's 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 very it's very entertaining watching her, you know, learn more things about th- this uh, this actress, Faye, that she's been trying to learn more about and find more details about even though she's kind of forgotten to history in a lot of ways and uh yeah i i enjoyed that search that she goes through i enjoyed her relationship with her friends and this this burgeoning romantic relationship with uh with one of the customers that that is is portrayed in a very charming and 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 um and very fun and loving way uh it and uh yeah she's uh she's very charming uh Cheryl Dunier uh I I haven't seen a ton of her other work um since this film came out but uh you know I, I like I like the that moment in time that it captures in in uh in this culture in New York City and yeah and and I love I love the 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 combo of, of the film history uh you know uncovering this this buried uh queer cinematic past that was happening at the time with documentaries like the celluloid closet and so on so there there was kind of a, a bigger zeitgeist that uh that this film was was tapping into uh at the time it came out and uh it's also airing on uh, Turner Classic Movies if you happen to have cable and get the TCM it's showing on uh Friday uh, June 26th uh, so that's another way you you can see it if you want to check it out yeah for sure I, I think people should I, I was really my eyes were opened by this film and I thought it was very charming and it's quite brief uh, you know it has that sort of like scrappy indie 90s uh, quality and length and uh, yeah I was surprised to see also Camille Paglia yes. show up as, as herself in the film which I thought was great and she's, um, and she's funny anyway <laughs> which is yeah, she's really and, funny. And there, oh, uh, another another interesting thing. I before my when my mind went off on a little tangent there. The um, there's also a moment that it's interesting how it's played here, where uh, at one point um, Cheryl's out uh, with her camera and she's she's looking to interview someone uh, at a certain address, and she gets hassled by a couple of cops because um, they see. Uh, they see a black woman with a movie camera and of course they make an assumption that she it must have been stolen uh and it's kind of played for laughs it's interesting to see that scene played then uh compared to how it would be played now where it certainly would not be uh there would be no comedic potential that the, the two actors playing the the police officers are kind of you know they're almost goofing it up a bit um in their roles when in fact it, you know this is it's it's a pretty serious thing and then the idea of potential escalation doesn't even really rear its head here but uh it, it's you know it's still a a moment where she, you know she's she feels kind of threatened but the tone of it is would be completely different than what you'd see you know maybe even a decade later let alone 25 years later Mm-hmm. Um, now, speaking of a shift in tone, and I want to mention this before we wrap up our our episode of Lens Me Your Ears uh, this week, um, Hoopla, which is another uh, free service through the Halifax Public Libraries, has a film available right now called Night Catches Us. Now, this is a uh, written and directed by Tanya Hamilton, who is a filmmaker who's just basically devoted her work to television in the years since this came out in 2010. But uh, this is a remarkable film. I was so glad to watch it. Night Catches Us is set in 1976, and Anthony Mackie plays Marcus. He's been away for years from his Philadelphia neighborhood. When he gets back, 
he uh, he he's not really all that welcome. He and his buddies back in the day were some into radical politics and involved with the Black Panthers. And he was Marcus was fingered as a snitch. Um, and uh, we see him sort of you know even his brother played by Tarek Trotter of The Roots, uh, is not that happy to see him. And certainly not uh, Dwayne, who is a bar owner, uh, played by Jamie Miller, who uh, fans of The Wire will remember. Um, but uh, only Patricia, played by Carrie Washington, pre-Scandal days, uh, she's now a lawyer, and she she welcomes uh, Marcus back to the neighborhood. And uh, and then there's, uh, there's all sorts of other things going on with the cops and with the black community and... Uh, uh, Wendell Pierce, speaking of The Wire, he's in this as well. He plays a police officer. Uh, this is, uh, I really enjoyed how this gorgeous looking, immersive film uh, evokes a time and place of the 1970s with a deft use of archival footage and location cinematography. And a great soundtrack from The Roots uh, is really sort of wraps you up in this story. It's It's got the sort of pacing and, and drama. It's sort of a thriller pacing, but it's really just an intimate neighborhood drama about, uh, you know, a connection between characters and the, the, uh, the, the sort of sad, uh, uh, you know, just this connection with what happened in the 60s and things didn't really work out the way I think that most of the people who have been living in this neighborhood hoped that they would. And so they're still living with this disappointment of uh, of, of lost dreams. And, uh, uh, you know, and, and may, things get a little heavy-handed in the third act, I thought, uh, where certain peripheral characters are a little bit one-dimensional, but, but I still really love the film. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a, it's a strong movie and I definitely hope people check it out. Yeah. I really, really like this film. I love the rich setting of this community in Philadelphia. Uh, the, you know, the, I feel like the legacy of the back, the black Panthers is there are still stories to be told there. I mean, uh, there are still echoes of that happening today. Uh, we saw some of that in the hate you give where the dad is, is teaching the kids, uh, you know, rules handed down by the Black Panthers about, you know, when you're stopped by police, how, how to handle the situation without escalating, without giving them a chance to escalate. Uh, we see some of that uh, shown here as well. Uh, and uh, I, fe I feel like uh, that's a period in history that that really could use a, a proper cinematic uh, telling. But obviously, the, the lessons that they handed down were important to the Black community and, you know, could could still be learned from in a lot of ways and it's interesting to see how those echoes have kind of remained uh especially with uh with Mackey's Marcus Washington kind of coming back to his neighborhood after after being uh you know being in jail and coming back kind of a changed man and having to deal with these these old ghosts and and uh you know using his sort of older instincts to kind of cope with them uh it, the fact that it's uh, it's up on canopy means that uh, I think that uh, everyone should should give this a look see at some point uh, in the near future. Oh, that's actually Hoopla. Is, or Hoopla, this, rather. Is Sorry. Yes, Hoopla. <laughs> no worries. I can't um, keep my Hoopla yeah. from my canopy. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's it for this edition of Lens Me Your Ears. We hope you enjoyed this look at some very insightful and enjoyable and 
enlightening uh, films from from african-american filmmakers there's a lot more out there to look into and uh, a little bit of searching on some of your favorite uh, platforms will, will will bring a world of film that really is worth delving into and and hopefully some of these choices will, will affect you the way they've affected us it's it's been a really great show that we've both enjoyed preparing for watching these films and uh, and getting a lot of the viewpoints they present my name is Stephen Cook and uh, you can find me on Twitter at NS underscore S-C-O-O-K-E and my name is Karsten Ox and you can find me by the name of my blog Flaw in the Iris that's where I am on Twitter if you've enjoyed the show we have a Patreon uh, account that you can support the show with uh, every amount helps and we appreciate the support we also have a Facebook page and a Twitter account at Lends Me Your Ears if you feel like uh, throwing some feedback our way we always love to hear from folks and uh, also as we do every week we thank uh, CKDU FM 88.1 for airing the show every other Tuesday at 5.30 and normally for allowing us to use their production facilities but of course uh, right now we're working from home but we, we look forward to being back in the studio at some point down the road and of course everyone at Village Sound Network for uh, putting the final touches on the show and, and getting it up online where you can download it as a podcast from your favorite podcast provider. Thanks very much, and we'll see you next time. Lends Me Your Ears is hosted by Stephen Cook and Karsten Knox and is produced in Halifax, Nova Scotia at Village Sound for the Village Soundcast Network. All music courtesy of Gypsophilia. Send feedback to lendsmeyourearspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. This was a Village Soundcast Network original production. 